Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited for today's conversation. I am really excited to be able to introduce you to my new friend, Jeffrey Marsh. Jeffrey is a non-binary, gender-fluid activist and social media star whose spiritual and inclusive messages have been received by more than 400 million people on social media. They are the best-selling author of the memoir self-help book, How to Be You, which topped Oprah's gratitude meter and was named Excellent Book of the Year by Ted Ed. Jeffrey is known as one of the world's foremost commentators on non-binary activism in America, having reported for Time, Variety, the BBC, and many more, and they continue to make content that is encouraging, positive, and inclusive to everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeffrey Marsh to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Ladies and gentlemen and others, welcome Jeffrey Ladies Marsh and, <laughs> and, other. and other folks, other folks, gentle, gentle days, ladies and gentle thems. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> so off, off camera, before we start, I'm having this conversation with Jeffrey, whose pronouns are they and them. Mm -hmm. And I have to acknowledge up front that this is the first human that I've ever interacted with that I knew up front had they and them as their pronouns, how they identify themselves. And I am conscientious of it. I am gonna be intentional in doing my best to call Jeffrey by the way they are hoping to be called. And yet I've never experienced this in my entire life. You just did it, you're a pro. Well, I feel nervous about this. Well, there's nothing to feel nervous about on my end. And we can absolutely talk about the nervousness. I think part of it comes from not from being a compassionate person. And you suspect that it's really rough to, I mean, I can explain why those are my pronouns, but I think you suspect that it's pretty rough to hear something else that doesn't match who you are. I think you know that feeling. By the way, from my interest in not offending you or being disrespectful right. to you, because the whole point of this conversation and introducing the audience that I will guess, like me, probably has not had as much experience with non-binary people in their life mm -hmm. that, man, I don't want to mess it up as the person who's trying to introduce them to they, them, you, and I, and I just don't want to get wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, if something happens that's not correct, I'll just tell you what it is and we'll just move on from that. That's good. Because that's, I mean, I decided a really long time ago that I was going to correct people. So it's an individual choice. And so somebody could come in and be you know, using whatever pronouns and someone could decide, well, I'm just gonna let it slide. I don't really wanna be you know, too out there. I don't wanna make them feel bad and, and so on and so forth. And I decided I'm always going to correct because that's my dignity at stake. And I'm gonna do everything I can not to make people feel bad while I do that. 
because that's my spiritual health at stake. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's one of the things that I respect most about you because you have a way online in anything that you're creating that says, I'm going to start with an empathy and compassion for humanity and an interest in protecting and defending some of the boundaries that are important on this side of the conversation. But you do it in a way that doesn't provoke, at least from what I've seen, shame or making people feel badly for what may in fact be some innocent mistakes that are being made in trying to learn and navigate something that's new for them. Yes. And before we were recording, you also said, um, you know, you you can reintroduce yourself after I do my intro, if there's something I missed. And the only thing I could think of is I try to help people stop hating themselves so much. That's what I do. How in the world would I have integrity in doing that if I went around making people feel guilty and bad (laughs) for something that, you know, they didn't intend, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. If everyone, by the way, started with that as their leading intention, so many of the problems we have would be solved. So much of the division and, and critique and vitriol that exists in the world dissipate just immediately if we started with that as the intention. So good. Can I tell you what I like about you? Can we stop? Well, this? yes, we could spend the rest of the entire episode on this. Um, okay, great. Because it's a lot. I didn't have any trepidation at all about coming to talk to you because I love your persona and I love who you are. But I also know that if, you know, something happened, we would acknowledge it together, that we're on the same side, if that makes any sense. Even yeah. if something, you know, that if even if something needs to be adjusted, sure. You know, that, that we could just have that talk because that's who you are. Yeah. But by the way, the, like the intention of this, our conversation, but also the broader conceit of the show is to invite people into an environment that might afford them this empathy bridge to walk one day in your shoes to understand a little bit of what it might be like or feel like to identify as you do and live as you do and respond to a world that may not necessarily every single time understand what it's like to be you. And so I, like I'm, that's part of why I get so excited about getting to have a conversation like this. I know like activism is a pretty broad word, but I see you and think of you first as an activist. And I am assuming that it feels something of a calling in your life because there's so much passion from which not as a best-selling author can't you put that first (laughs) and then i'm kidding i did (laughs) Uh, at what point in life do you realize oh activism is a part of what i have as a gift for this world you know in in getting ready to talk to you i've been thinking about you you know off and on all week and One of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was being a walking metaphor, because in some ways you are too in your work. And to me, I think people can just look at me and instantly see what I was told my whole life was wrong with me, if you get my drift. (laughs) And they can see that I celebrate that, that I love it. And that it's a pity it's a podcast because my outfit is slamming today. And... People can see that I have learned to transcend the self-hate and that I love myself. And that no matter what you slot into that, what you were told is wrong with you, then the process can be the same. And that's what this whole podcast is about, rising that way. Yeah. What's interesting is the pull that you 
are able to, on the outside, signal immediately, I love myself, I celebrate who I am, I am unapologetically who I am. And the way that any of us, as listeners, any of us in the world, don't have the courage, don't have the confidence, don't stay connected to our truth for yielding to the way that society or someone we crave love from or whatever it might be has us morphing into wearing masks to hide some of who we inevitably end up being is part of what creates the unfulfillment and the self-hatred and the way that we don't feel great about ourselves when we're by ourselves as we put our head on the pillow. And so there is something that's just so admirable about seeing you fully stand in your truth and do so even though the truth that you have invariably just introduces and welcomes nastiness at times from people who don't understand it. Oh, sure. I mean, you're on the internet. You get nastiness too. Oh, yeah. It lives there. It lives there. (laughs) It thrives there. Yeah. You want to know something that's weird though? Well, if you look in my demographics, so people who are not, you know, on the internet so much may not know that you can go in and look at your audience, your demographics, where they're from, age groups, you know, stuff like that. And about a third of my audience is conservative people. I really, I mean, I have theories as to why, but when I noticed that one day, a couple of years ago, it was really shocking to me. So there is something that hopefully about my work that transcends that sort of the tribalism that you're talking about, that you're pointing at. Well, I think that like universally, there's something in our humanity that wants to actually be given permission to be our true full selves and still love ourselves in the face of people who would be critical of that truth. Mm, And so there's something I think is there, uh, you know, as an audience, be they conservative or liberal or anything in between, as they're able to see, oh, I found someone who might be something of a model for how to embrace living fully in truth, even though it may be unconventional, different, or questioned at times by a portion of the population, because we all want to be able to be seen as our true selves and love ourselves irrespective of the way we are received. Yeah, absolutely. And not just snarky comments on the internet, not just people chiming in with their opinions about the way I look and and who I am. Uh, Right now, there are, there's a (laughs) right now, our own government in certain ways is trying to legislate people like me out of existence. But in other parts of the world, it's, it's deadly to be open the way that I am. It's dangerous. um, Yeah, to a person's life. Well, let's talk just for a second, because of the having brought up the legislative pieces, there are some things in real time. And where I'm sitting in Texas, there are Mm -hmm. things happening in many places. For anyone who's listening that may be a little less familiar with some of the activity that's happening inside of the legislative space, can you give us just a little taste of what you know and why we as people, whether we are inside of the community or outside of the community, ought to keep our antenna up for what's happening because of the way that it threatens the existence of humans? Oh, I think you, uh, wow, you said it much more eloquently than I was going to. Yeah, it's something to keep an eye on because trans people are already vulnerable and specifically trans women, uh, black trans women to be ultra specific, are in danger in our country. And so when the government swoops in and uses trans people as scapegoats, I think of my whole life 
<laughs> and how people throughout my whole life have tried to use people like me to get votes, to be honest, and how that's not a very welcoming kind way to be. Because fear is a commodity and you can galvanize voting by making people afraid of things that they're unfamiliar with. I yeah. really think so, yes. And LGBTQ-ness, just as a very broad umbrella category, has often been slotted into that fear. Who even thinks yeah. about gay marriage anymore? But at one point, that was the reason to vote, to stop that from ruining humanity. It's, it's wild, it's unconscionable <laughs> in so many ways, and it's part of, I think, why it's so important to... I had this experience uh, 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 maybe five years ago where we were in the midst of adoption, mm -hmm. and we knew we were going to adopt at the time internationally. It didn't end up working out, but because our daughter was going to ultimately have black skin, we found an intentionally multicultural church. And I thought I had a handle on race, how ridiculous, that I thought I did, mm -hmm. and I now realize I never, ever will. But I, at the time, didn't yet spend the kind of time with people of color in real true community to understand just a little bit better what it might be like to live life and walk in their shoes. And that experience, man, it was so eye-opening and fundamentally changed so many of the things that I thought about race and how much I realized it is a never-ending journey. It's going to take the rest of my life. This show, unbelievably, has also introduced me. I've had uh, someone who was the first publicly elected trans woman ever on the show. And it was like one of the first times, to be honest, I've ever actually spoken to someone who was trans. Mm -hmm. And I, because of just some of the connectedness that existed between a screen, felt like I took one little step closer to understanding a touch of the experience. I, I'm not yet at a place of understanding, but I'm going to get closer. And my hope is that this conversation might just invite the audience to take one step closer to appreciating the humanity of something that can be weaponized and used as fear-mongering to get votes or to perpetuate stereotypical things that drive hate or whatever it ends up being. I, I, I believe that's got to be part of what you believe your responsibility, maybe that's the wrong word, is as an activist, but you do such a good job of it. Is there Was there a time specifically in your life where you said, oh, this is what I got to go do. I have to speak out loud and have a conversation about this so that people can see me as a person and not as a, as a group, as a stereotype, as a, as a thing. Oh, heck no. It really is just out of necessity. I mean, I don't know what, yeah. I, what I would be doing if I, if, if I wasn't a non-binary person. I, I, I don't know. And there's, there's still time left uh, for me to do lots of, lots of things. But to be, you know, there are just certain people, I happen to be one of them, I can't walk the earth without being quote unquote political, if you know what I mean. Like I don't have yeah. the, I don't, I don't even have the chance or the ability to, to just be like, oh, I'm not political. <laughs> and that actually, uh, in the inverse, you know, the other side of that coin is I don't have to talk about it all that much. Because if I can zero in on how we are connected as human beings, the stuff about being trans, being non-binary, being LGBTQ becomes part of the story. But it's also, it's, so one of, one of my most popular TikToks was to say, you know, if you ever want to talk to somebody in your family about non-binary people, you can just say, well, my friend Jeffrey on the internet says this. 
And I think people had such a connection with that because it does feel like we're friends. Like we have this human to human connection. And as important as my identity is to a lot of people, I hope that it's not at the top of the list. I hope our hearts connecting is at the top of the list. Ah, I love that. So good. I, I don't know that we should take for granted that everyone who's listening understands. Knows what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. right. Like, it's, like I, I have spent a little bit more time. You obviously have lived this entire life. But if someone doesn't currently understand what non-binary or gender fluid means, can you help bring them into the cone of knowledge? I absolutely can. I do it many times. <laughs> Um, yeah, I do it with flair. So when activists like me say the binary, we're referring binary being two, we're referring to the usual choices that people are given. Gender is not a choice, but I hope you'll know what I mean. We're the usual, um, the usual ways people are taught about gender, that there are men and there are women. Binary, two. Non-binary is anybody who doesn't fit into those two categories. I happen to feel like, yeah, sure, I, I contain both of those categories, but also, I mean, I contain 107 other ways to express gender, and it's all just in a wheelbarrow that I wheel around in front of me. How is this going so far? So far, so good. I'm, I'm following <laughs> just fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> And, you know, when I was when I was growing up, just to touch on pronouns, when I was growing up, it, it always felt to me whenever somebody said, what's up, man? Hey, bro. Or used he, him around me, that it really just was irrelevant to me. And not just irrelevant, but that they honestly misunderstood me. I felt unseen, unknown, unrespected, stuff like that, which might seem like an odd thing to say, but I am, how should I put it? I am so LGBTQ that I was never really raised a boy, in quotes. Mm. I was really just raised a, um, yeah, <laughs> object of scorn. Let's put it that way. Have you ever been asked the question when you decided to become non-binary? Uh, you know, the, no. I mean, like, I mean, no, because I mean, like, I want to I try and illustrate a point, and I'm hope, hopefully you're not receiving that as I believe that one day you woke up and said, you know what, I'm non-binary, but I, I, I have been on panels before mm -hmm. as a part, I was a chief ally for a pride group, and I sat on a panel where I heard someone talk about when they were asked when Did you they say you're a chief ally? To, oh, at the Walt Disney Company, I was the chief ally, as in the Ooh. chief straight ally. Wow. I got special. Did you get a badge? Oh, in fact, hold, please. <laughs> You're showing me the badge on Zoom. Oh, I mean, I got it's, a, it's a Mickey in a rainbow. I love that. It's a Mickey in a rainbow. Would you put it on right now? Darn right, I'll put it on right now. It doesn't really go with my plaid, but who cares? It goes with my uh, outfit, so I think, yes, we're, I think we're good. But I was on this panel and somebody was talking about how they were asked this question, you know, do you remember when you decided to be gay? And since I was helping moderate this conversation, the person turned to me and said, do you remember the day you decided to be straight? Mm -hmm. A question that zero straight people in the history of time have ever been asked. So I am curious because I, there, there may be people here who are listening saying, oh, what an interesting choice you'd make for your life. Right. Jeffrey, I there mean, are either 
the way to, to live. Why did, why did you choose this or when did you choose it? Yes. And that's the reason why I corrected myself earlier, right? Because people can get caught up in this idea that it's, that it is some kind of choice. And the most interesting, well, do you remember how you answered when you were asked that? I answered that I had not one time in my life considered that I made a choice or that I ever knew anything other than the attraction I felt towards women. And so I, it was like a, well, what a silly question. And the person said, can you imagine how silly it feels for me to have been asked the same exact thing, which was the point. Boom. There you go. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. And, you know, an adjacent question that people ask me is when did you know you were different? And I always answer that one the same way, which is I never did. I really was aware of of my, in a sense that I was aware of my full humanity. And I was also aware that I'm not a man, I'm not a woman. It is so, I, I, it's, if you've never experienced it, I imagine that it would sound completely foreign to you. But I distinctly remember being 13 and knowing that's not me and that's not me. What the heck am I? <laughs> and then, of course, going on a journey to to discover what the truth really is. Now, some of your having figured out those answers have shown up now in Vine and in TikTok and have exploded in these, what I mentioned, 400 million views worth of content on social media. Did you ever have any concept of the way that this message might be received? Or is there something about these platforms in particular that lends themselves to an audience who's receptive to and interested in the message? Like, how is how do you how do you process the social media of it all? Well, it's obviously run. (laughs) Who rules the world? It's run by young people. And particularly, teen girls are incredibly enthusiastic and are incredibly supportive. And I think understand what it feels like to be told your whole life, you need to be something that doesn't feel good, doesn't feel natural, doesn't feel right to you. Mm. Universal. I, it, is, it is quite a human thing. And I really, uh, when I think about social media, I think about young people. And they're, you know, you would think that it's mostly LGBTQ people that follow me. But no, it is, it is absolutely just a mix of every kind of person. And I hope what unites us is a feeling of connection, of a desire to love our fellow humans. We, I mean, we talked about your grace with which you respond to hate, hateful comments, people being mean on the internet. I'm sure it's just kind of part and parcel with any of us who are creating anything inside of a dumpster fire called the internet. Uh, but I, I just have been so appreciative of the way that you find a way to be this graceful being trying to connect our universal experiences. Does some of that, any of that come out of a relationship with Buddhism, with Zen? It feels connected to it, but I'm curious, like, is there is there an inspiration or thread that leads back to any of those? <laughs> Are Zen people nice? Let's find yeah, out. Yeah, that's what I'd like to find out. Yeah. I have been studying Zen over 20 years. I lived in a monastery for a while. And of course, it helped me with lots of things. But, you know, in that particular instance, it helps me to focus in on what's most important. So you will notice that I create content sometimes 
And TikTok has this amazing feature where you can put a comment on the screen. Imagine the power. Never had that on Vine. Never, it's not a feature on Insta, right? You can put a hater's comment on the screen and talk about the hate. I find it really empowering. But you'll notice what I'm doing in those moments is using it as a reason to talk to the people who are in love. So it's a way for us to connect. It's a way for you and me, as in the person viewing and me, to connect so that we can discuss this common issue of humanity, which is hate. And what are we going to do about it? I hope that's part of why they're popular, because hello, they're popular. Yeah. No, by the way, I think that they're popular, of course, because of that reason. But I also think the popularity, again, comes back to every single viewer, every single listener right now is also struggling through criticism in some form or fashion. And how you handle the critic and how you respond to the hate, even if it's wrapped up in love, even if it's wrapped up in something that is in your best interest, but truly judgmental. Like everyone wants to figure (laughs) out. But I love you. That kind of thing. (laughs) There's a bow on top. Trust me, this isn't meant to be like, pardon me if this sounds rude. Just stop what you're saying. But, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone's going through that. Yeah. And when you say the critic, do you mean the inner one? Well, what I think is that, of course, when someone comes after you with something online, the reason why you tend to be triggered is because there's some part of you, whether it's the child inside of you, some broken piece, a a breakup or rejection, the time that you failed publicly, that it has that insecurity, that imposter syndrome, that whatever it is, rear its head and speak a voice that you shouldn't listen to that says, they're right. Those people are right. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not good. They figured it out. And I'm going to listen to this critic because it confirms this voice of self-hate that lives inside of me. And that's, man, if we could find a way to beat back against it or, or ignore it, or as, you, as I think you've done again, like so well, bring it to the forefront to dismantle it in a way that takes its power away. Certainly. And that's easy to do because it's not inherently powerful, as you just pointed out, right? It hooks into something that has power, but the comment itself is not, is not the powerful thing in that equation. I agree with you, by the way. I'm going I'm to need your cell phone. I need to call you every time <laughs> I'm finding myself triggered by the hook. Because, I, 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 again, like I just have so much admiration for the simplicity of it doesn't have power unless you give it power. I even teach on the idea that it doesn't have power unless, it, unless you give it power. And yet I, like anyone else who's listening, am human and find myself, of course, triggered by the person who says the thing that I'm worried they might say because I'm... An insecure human being as much as anybody ends up being. I have no self-hate. And people mm, people find that a curious thing and usually have lots of questions after I, after I make a statement like that. Yeah. And the answer, do you mind if I give you the answer? <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is acceptance. So to me, it's not necessarily don't give it power. It is accepting that you are a human being that cares about things. Do you know? Oh, that's good. That if your heart is open, you will be hurt. And that is the deal we make. And, and that's, that's inevitable. And so you, <laughs> this, this part may sound a little sassy and cruel, but you, know, you might as well get ready to be hurt 
and take it as part of the deal because you're a feeling human being. And of course, hate bothers you because hate is so terrible. Yeah. Well, I've said if you are interested in impact, the price of entry is criticism. If you don't want to be criticized, don't make anything. Don't try and have your don't life. Don't leave your house. Uh, don't get on don't Zoom. Don't leave your house. Yeah. <laughs> don't open the internet. Yeah. yeah. But the reality is we've all been given a certain set of gifts. It's our responsibility to use them. And what it comes with is having to inevitably open ourselves up for people that the message was not intended for to throw some kind of rock. And we have to appreciate them. It wasn't for them. It's okay. I'm still going to need your cell phone. The, uh, <laughs> the, the way that you have walked into new spaces and afforded people this opportunity to understand a little bit better who you are, what you stand for, is, again, one of the things that I just I, I admire about you. You were the first openly non-binary public figure to be interviewed on national television for uh, something called Unfiltered. It was a conservative news show. And I'm curious. Newsmax, if you know if you know them. Newsmax, right? So you're you're not likely to be at the top of a list of who I would think would be interviewed first inside of that space, and yet you walk into it. How, how does that feel? Did it were you nervous? Were, were they open and, and, and available <laughs> to listening to your message? Like, what was it like? Um, I'm sure I'm sure you can relate to this story. Uh, the makeup artist and I really hit it off. <laughs> outside of that it was a little dicey so I go into the studio and it's a pre-tape and so that means it's not a live you know it's not it's it's not as pressurized I find live to be more pressurized so it's a pre-tape but there will be we'll, we'll be rolling soon and so the makeup artist is touching me up the sound person is putting my mic on and there's like a flurry of activity and I decide to do something that LGBTQ people too often. Um, I want to make a serious point, but I want to make it very charmingly. I don't know if anyone listening can relate. So I make it into a joke. And I say to the host of this very conservative show, I'm sure somebody already told you, but my pronouns are they, them. So when you do the intro, you want to, of course, make sure you're saying they are brilliant. They're really attractive. They wrote this best-selling book, you know, and I'm making it this joke. And the host goes, I talk how I talk. And you're going to have to correct me on air. And then we started taping. So I immediately knew that when I was answering questions, it was not, and I don't, I don't mean this in a cruel way. It was not, my time there was not to be spent talking to him. He was already gone, as far as I could tell. I spent my time talking to the teenager, the, the spouse, the receptive person who would be in a household that had Newsmax going and would be like, what's that? You know, who might, be receptive. How interesting. He was already gone, which by the way, is not a situation that's unique to you and uh, this person inside right. Newsmax. This is the kind of thing that frankly, many of us can identify with someone who's predetermined who you are, what you stand for, that they don't agree with your position or you know, not listening to what you're saying, but preparing an answer for what's coming out of your mouth. Such, a, I've never heard it described that way. I love that. It's really that And, you know, the other piece to this is we are all trained from an incredibly young age before we can even conceive that we're being trained to focus all of our attention on the people who are already gone, winning them over, convincing them. (laughs) And like standing right next to you is a person that might be an amazing best friend who is really awesome. But we all just have these blinders on to want to 
we're most comfortable in a place where we're convincing others that we're worthy. Seek right? approval. Oh, what yeah. that that is a like epidemic kind of problem that is mm-hmm. not specific to any individual group, male Indeed. or anything else. That is just we all suffer from. Oh. I know you want to talk about non-binary folks, but there's just so much universal to our lives. There is. There's so much that brings us together. (laughs) But this is a great point, because if there was a thing in coming into this interview where I want to make sure that I'm going to do this right, set up the audience to understand what it means to be non-binary and everything else, the things that connect us, of course, are wildly greater than the things that are different about us. And that's the point. That is the point. And I Mm -hmm. love that just even in the midst of this conversation, it's being reminded to me, the host, God bless it. (laughs) Not on my list. You and I have so much in common. But I'm curious. I I was, I was raised inside of a religious household. Mm -hmm. uh, Plenty of interesting, heated at sometimes conversations about the LGBTQ community and the idea that I am someone who is affirming or have an ally tattoo on my arm and this idea of- You have a badge. I'm wearing a badge in in real time, but I try and kind of reconcile the idea that we're made in God's image. And I believe in this like intentional, deliberate, perfect design for every single human on the planet and how they're feels to be some hypocrisy that ends up then rearing itself as someone would try and hand me Leviticus or something like that. Is there, sure. is there, is there something that you've kind of worked through in your journey to hold the idea of higher power, God, church, religion, and the fact that you were uniquely and wonderfully perfectly made? Like, I, I, or is religion a thing that you're like, I don't know. Well, it used to be for sure. Yeah. And that's, really common among LGBTQ people. We throw out the bathwater of religion with the baby of spirituality. That's what I mean, right? We throw out the baby with the bathwater and we think that religion and spiritual awakening are the same and that both of those things as a chunk, they're not really the same, but they come in a chunk in our mind and we think that that has rejected us. So we're going to reject it. And it's one of the most unfortunate things because in so many cultures throughout history, not to brag, but people like me have been seen as spiritual leaders, as people who are an embodiment of God. I read a book called Unclobber um, that's all about challenging some of the things that the church has tried to sell and the way that it's handled Mm -hmm. the LGBTQ community. And if you're a listener and you are just, you're you can't believe that you're even listening still to this podcast. Uh, as a, <laughs> it's because we're charming. As a person, that's how we get Christian. I, I would encourage you give it a, give a chance to a book, give a chance to a podcast, like spend some additional time inside of the community and ask some of the harder questions rather than taking some of the things that have been taught and um, and just you know ask ask some of the hard questions. That is, I think more than anything, what I would uh, ask for you as a listener to do. Say something nice about Christianity. I'll say please after you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was raised Lutheran. And in the church I was raised in, I was told you're going to hell. God doesn't love you. You will never be loved by God unless you change fundamentally who you are, et cetera, et cetera. But the things in the Bible that Jesus said, they're pretty amazing. Like the things <laughs> that Jesus was talking about, those are pretty, pretty And I'm not being facetious at all. I mean, they're really, really fundamental teachings 
about how to be human being and what it's what the human experience is like. And they're moving. I, you know, I was Lutheran and then I became Zen and we don't have a, a deity figure or, you know, there's no, there's nothing to worship as far as a higher power goes. But the power of life and the power of connection and the power of um, presence and being kind to fellow human beings, that seems like stuff that Jesus was pretty into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we touched on it a little bit, but if if someone is listening and is still struggling a little bit to walk into a conversation around pronouns or is still mystified a little around gender identity, is mm-hmm. there a tip that you get? Is there something you might say to them to, uh, I mean, I like the idea of my friend Jeffrey says as a, like in, as an on-ramp for a child to maybe introduce this to their uh, grown human that's watching them. But if you're a grown human and oh. you're unfamiliar with your work, like what would you say to a listener who's like, I don't even know how to walk toward pronouns right now? Yes. Well, do you have any idea how proud and happy it makes me when I get a DM or, or email from either the parent or the kid, and a parent has used my video to come out to their, uh, what did I say? A parent has used my video? Well, that happens too. But it's really nice when a kid uses my video to come out to their parents, right? And uses me as this sort of buffer zone. Because I, and I know you, well, I project that you feel this way sometimes too. We're bridge people and we're about bringing groups that may not be able to communicate together together. And so, and I really love that, doing that. And so I think my first or first slash only tip would be to hand out cash, uh, provide snacks. Non-binary people love snacks. Uh, I'm joking. Um, you should, <laughs> I can see you smiling. See the humanity, I think it's most important. Because the place where we get tripped up is where we start to see the rules and the shoulds and what you should be saying and what you're failing to say and how you, you, you know, didn't learn this, but you did learn this. And I, and just, just, just take a deep breath, say hello. (laughs) So simple. Talk about what you would talk to somebody else about. Yeah. Is the kinds of conversations we're having or the kind of, uh, imparting on your small people kind of uh, opportunity for parents, something that is exclusive to parents who believe they have uh, as a child, someone who may have some gender fluidity or uh, may find themselves inside the LGBT community or is uh, welcoming and unconditionally loving people or people, gender exploration and expression, a thing that any parent who's listening could potentially introduce to their children so they might in fact grow up to be decent contributing members of society? What a leading question. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, I just, I just want to, it's important because here I'm, you know, I'm, I'm attempting as a part of who I'd hope to be as a dad represent with this ally tattoo on my arm and the work that I inevitably am trying to do on this podcast, including this very conversation, have conversations in real time about the Popery, the wild diversity, the, you know, like attempt to be inclusive and loving to all people, irrespective of how any of them identify or whether they belong or don't to any individual group. And I, I just want to encourage anyone who's listening, you don't have to have your family unit specifically, uh, you know, they don't have to have someone who is gay inside of it to have a conversation about how you might make someone who is part of the gay community, LGBTQ community, feel seen. 
loved, welcome. I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this is not meant to be a PSA necessarily for decency, but why are you backtracking? Put I'm a period on it. Yes. I, yes. I just I was looking for an amen or hallelujah, and I just didn't hear anything from the congregation. <laughs> is that me yes, in the square of Zoom? Yes. Yes. Amen. Of course. Thank you. Of course. And it's not the thing is you may not know there is such discrimination still in 2021 against people like me that there may be a lot of reasons that your kid would keep keep it to themselves yeah absolutely and so you may not think you have an lgbtq person in your family <laughs> and you may never mention it and it would be a pity that your if your kid then got the message that that part of them was unwelcome yeah can i ask you a trick question any question good I'm turning the tables, turning the podcast tables. What is the overarching message you want your kid to get from you? Well, if you had to pick one. I mean, shoot. I, I've, I've described the mission that I'm on. People are probably tired of hearing this, but I, I believe that I was created with intentional, deliberate design and that I have a responsibility, a mandate to every single day, do everything I can to honor that intention. And part of why I think I've been placed on this earth is to, as someone who's identified one of his core values as advocacy or being an ally, I want them to understand the why behind it and to model, to embrace, to welcome any voice, all voices, any, like anyone into and uh, to sit at, as, as a part of our table so that we can understand a little bit better what it's like to walk in their shoes. I, like I, I, as a white, straight, American, Christian person who's got a little more money, I, I, I check every privilege box there is. And I also have a sign on the wall over our dining room table that says, to whom much is given, much is expected. I do think that there is some responsibility for anyone who has been given much to do with that much as much as you can. And so I like I want my kids to hopefully appreciate that they also have been afforded a lot in opportunity and that that opportunity comes with a responsibility to show up for everyone. You want them to get the message that everyone should be accepted. Absolutely. Is that a fair distillation? Absolutely. Great. So. That the reason it was a trick question, it then leads to a discussion about how are you demoing that? Yeah. And you're, and I don't just mean in your work that you're doing because you demo it in obvious ways, but internally, if acceptance is the name of the game, how are you doing with accepting all the parts of yourself uh, that's as a way to show them that that's, that's how it's done? You make me cry. What the heck is this? Hold on. The tables turn to also induce tears, new friend. <laughs> it's something I do. Uh, it's a superhero power of mine. I'll tell you a little story. My dad apologized to me for my childhood. And I was an adult um, when he did that. But you made me think of a story because we almost never talked on the phone. And the phone it rang and I answered it. And uh, he said, I'm so sorry for what happened. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. And uh, long story short, he tried every method to get me not to be me, including violence. And he said, I'm so sorry for the way I treated you. I'm sorry for your childhood. And he said something that I will never, ever forget. Quote, I was worried what other parents would think of me. End quote. And what this new sort of angle you helped me realize about it is that story makes me 
sad on many levels, but it, it makes me most sad because 11-year-old Jeffrey could have had a completely changed life if my dad had said it then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And part of your gift is that you are so open and honest and frank. And it is still, I think, a re- really rare thing in, in parenting. Now you're making me cry twice. What? It's, uh, yes. <laughs> Stick around. We'll do number three. <laughs> What's interesting is so much of the work that I am attempting to do in my personal life and the way that that personal work ends up transcending into the work that I do for other humans is asking these broader, bigger questions of who I would hope they become, right? Because if I am asking them to be accountable or responsible or have big dreams or do these things, but I also end up censoring myself or don't believe in myself or I am given to the dogma of how I'm supposed to be or whatever it is, then I'm living outside of integrity with who I'd hope they ultimately can become and how could they become who I'd hope if I am not myself modeling what I aspire for them. And so I think part of it is, man, I want them to be people who are open and embracing and curious to understand the experience of other people so that they have compassion and empathy as a North Star in their life. And if I weren't that, I don't know how they'd have it. Yeah. And yes, in my humble opinion, you're doing great. I'm demonstrating. I'm now, I need your cell phone again so you can tell me that on the days I start to doubt. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Daily. Tell me uh, if people do not currently follow you, Jeffrey, my new friend, my new very, very close friend, where can they follow yeah. you online? Come find me. Come find me. Google me. The Jeffrey Marsh on Instagram and TikTok. Those are your two best bets. Excellent. I have a single final question for you. It will be difficult because yeah. all the things that you could give our listeners today. But if you could only give one takeaway to our guests, an idea, a question, an actionable piece of advice, what is the single thing that you will leave our listeners with today? Oh, I, okay. I talk about this in my audio book, which is available right now. Shameless plug. There is nothing wrong with you. That needs to become your mission in life is to live with that as your guiding principle. There is nothing wrong with you. So good. Someone needed to hear that today. Jeffrey's new book is called (laughs) How to Be You. That's not a shameless plug. That is me saying you pick (laughs) up this book. It's called I hope it's not a shameful plug. (laughs) Yes. That is not a shame-filled plug. Uh, you You should buy How to Be You. It's out and available right now. Between now and next week, ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary And uh, non-binary people. (laughs) I had so much fun today. (laughs) Thank you for who you are. All of of you, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary people alike. See, I stumbled over it. I can't even say it the right way. There is is no right way. There is good news. There is nothing wrong with you. We'll see you next week on another episode of Rise Together. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.